0: A reading from To Bless the Space Between Us, A Book of Blessings, by Irish poet John O'Donohue. I'm reading from page 101 and 102, States of Heart. The human body is an amazing masterpiece. With the senses, we see, taste, and touch the world, drawing its mystery inside us. With the mind, we probe the eternal structures of things. With the face, we present ourselves to the world and recognize one another. But it is the heart that makes us human. The heart is where the beauty of the human spirit comes alive. Without the heart, the human would be sinister. To be able to feel is the great gift. When you feel for someone, you become united with that person in an intimate way. Your concern and compassion come alive, drawing some of the other person's world and spirit into yours. Feeling is the secret bridge that penetrates solitude and isolation. Feeling is the secret bridge that penetrates solitude and isolation. Without the ability to feel, friendship and love could never be born. All feeling is born in the heart. This makes the human heart the true jewel of the world. (laughs) I love that. Because the heart dwells in unattended dark, we often forget its sublime sensitivity to everything that is happening to us. Without our ever noticing, the heart absorbs the joy of things and also their pain and care. Within us, therefore, a burdening can accrue. For this reason, it is wise now and again to tune into your heart and listen for what it carries. Sometimes the simplest things affect unexpected transformation. The old people here in Ireland used to say that a burden shared is a burden halved. Similarly, when you allow your heart to speak, the burdens it carries diminish. A new lightness enters your body, and relief floods the heart. Dear Heartlifters, I want you to really fine tune your hearing today because we're going to take to heart O'Donohue's words here when he says, it is wise now and again to tune into your heart and listen for what it carries. Hello and welcome to today's Heartlift with Janelle. I'm so happy to have you here. I'm Janelle, I am your guide in this season of Reset, where we have set our hearts and minds on things above. We are taking a time to exhale from the crazy pandemic before we re-enter whatever this new normal it is to each of us. It is something different to every person I talk to. I know for me, as I've said, I'm not re-entering quickly. I am taking the wisdom of Jim and Alan Fadling from the beautiful episode that we had with them on living and an unhurried life. I am taking that to heart, and I'm not rushing back into anything. As much as even my flesh wants to do that at times, like I should be planning this and planning that and doing this conference and doing this. I can't do it. I feel a caution. I feel a sense to get really grounded in all that I learned and all that my heart (laughs) learned and accrued during these very long, hard months of the pandemic. So we started our journey last week into our deep dive into Stronger Every Day, Nine Tools for an Emotionally Healthy You, my book, and we're doing it here on the podcast. And I I want to just make it so that you can stop and start because, you know, this isn't a beach read. I'm getting ready to go on vacation and go to the beach. It's not really one that I would pick up to take to the beach, although I do because I love to do deep work at the ocean side. But you know, most of the time people are with family and they want to read fiction and and just have something more lighthearted. But I encouraged you last time we were together to really take this deep dive seriously and to fight for some quiet time and to, if at all possible, just read this book. Read this book stronger every day. That is not a marketing ploy. I am not asking you that for any false claims or (laughs) anything at all. I just want you to take this book and read it and process it, chew it, meditate on it, because I truly believe from the bottom of my heart, mind, and soul that it holds secrets to great meaning and purpose for your life. When you possess these nine tools, and last week's tool, we started with step across the threshold into the pursuit of meaningfulness. What does that mean? Well, we talked about eudaimonia, the Greek word that actually means life is not just meant to be lived in the pursuit of happiness. Happiness is fleeting. It is, um, it's fleeting. There's no other way to say it. But living a life, a eudaimonious life, is a life filled with purpose and passion and fulfillment of potential. It is often a life defined by struggle, a life defined by living outside of your comfort zones, a life uh, that is filled with some risk taking. It's filled with always seeking and learning new things and coming outside of what's comfortable. And so I hope that you took the time to saunter, sit and see and to really sit with your heart and go, what do I want my story to tell now? I'm writing my story. I'm in control of my story. Me and God, we're a team. Christ is in us. He lives inside of us. And so when I say me, I'm saying he. I'm saying us. So today I want to move into tool two. And tool two is, honestly, I could have written the whole book on this one tool because I feel it so strongly. And when I learned about secure attachment only a few years ago, when I experienced it, I should say, when when an endowment opened from heaven and God opened my eyes and said, this is what you need. You need secure attachment. You're going to earn this now because you didn't get it as a, as a, a child. I lived in an alcoholic home, as you know, and it was um, unhealthy. I was loved. I feel loved. It's not like I wasn't loved. I, I feel loved. I know that I was loved. I've done a lot of, of heart work to wrap my head around that. So I have a sense of, of I've earned the secure attachment that my parents honestly did do the best that they could. I, I loved, I love, I, my, my mom just passed in August and she and I had done a lot of hard work. I, I wrote about my relationship with my dad in my first book, Rock Solid Families. And I'm so thankful and blessed that Christ helped me to um, have resolution and forgiveness and restoration with both of my parents. We don't all get that. I understand that. And if you haven't had it and they have passed, it's not too late. You can still do that work. (laughs) You can. And so here we're going to be in tool two, and it's part of our Envision movement, our first three tools, where we're envisioning uh, what we need to do to perhaps uh, become whole and we're sketching some notes and we're looking at our heart and we're looking at our mind and our soul. And so the intention of tool two is, I sit in God's presence and feel safe and secure. And Wayne Jacobson writes, this is a very um, old classic book called In My Father's Vineyard. And a lot of the book, uh, my book, it, it, there's a lot of gardening <laughs> themes going on in it, and particularly in this tool. We're going to talk about um, something that uh, where I saw nature imaging secure attachment, so stay tuned. But he writes, when we are in pain, when we can't see a way out, when the days drag by without solutions, God comes to us with tenderness and incredible love. This gardener can take any branch, no matter how wounded, and put it back together again. Oh, that's for, that's for someone today. You hear that. It may not be a quick fix. It may take a while, but the Father has grace enough to forgive our failures and strength enough to, to transform any crisis. This is my Father's vineyard. He's in charge he cares for us deeply and tenderly. He provides everything we need to grow and be fruitful. Isn't that a gardener you can trust? Oh, I love to think of God as a gardener because I, I'm nature speaks to me all the time, as you know. And we are certainly going to um, see that in this chapter. I'm on page 60. And I begin this chapter with a beautiful story about my dear great-niece, actually, and her name is Nora. And I'm reading from page 60. As I opened my front door, there stood a beautiful young family, husband, wife, and charming, adorable three-year-old daughter. This being their first time in my home, little Nora, a bit nervous and unsure, wrapped her chubby toddler arms around her mama's leg, clinging for dear life nothing and no one was going to pry her away from her safe place. Now, a little aside here, a little peek behind the scenes. This wasn't their first time. This is actually a story about my beautiful nephew and his wife and my grandniece, and now they have I have a grandnephew with them. They had been in my home before, but I took a little creative license here, and I thought it'd be fun to tell you that. So, But the last time she had been in my home, she was a baby, so she wouldn't necessarily remembered, but I'm, I'm hoping her subconscious remembered the tenderness and the love. Uh, I'm hoping she felt that in the atmosphere of my home. At least that's my hope. I continue within the hour after sensing my home was also a safe place. Nora began venturing a few steps away from mom. She'd come a bit closer to me, give me a little glance, hand me a board book to read, and then scurry back to mom's leg coy smile on her face. This little game lasted for quite some time, but by the end of the day, Nora nestled into my lap, relaxed and comfortable, allowing me to read a book to her. This phenomenon is what psychologists and counselors call secure attachment. If you have the book, I want you to circle that. I want you to highlight it. I want you to put a star by it, and I want you to put today's date by it. That's very important because this is a marker in your life history, especially if you do not possess secure attachment. And as we read in this chapter, um, Licensed psychologist Hal Shorey writes, about 55% of people emerge from childhood with secure attachment. So that means about 45 or 50, like it changes a little bit. I even heard the other day, 65% of our population now does not possess secure attachment. So that may have changed since Hal Shorey did his research. But attachment styles are the building blocks of our personalities. Now, if and when this is a foreign word concept to you, like I don't know what she's talking about. I have done several episodes on secure attachment and attachment theory so you can go back and look through the index of the podcast and and maybe take a pause here and listen to it in a little bit of more um, central teaching on just attachment. Attachment styles are like mental roadmaps that help us understand and predict how the environment and other people are likely to react to us in different situations. Through helping predict how people and the environment are likely to react, they also help us prepare mentally and emotionally to cope with whatever comes our way. And I pause here because that's really the essence. That's the teaching principle of today. Is that when we receive secure attachment in our youth, in our well, not our youth. I'm sorry, in our childhood, in our infancy, when we know that we're safe and secure, we're seen, we're heard, we're cared for, we're fed, we're gonna be, we're gonna, we belong. Uh, we're we're seen. That's the biggest part, and we're safe. Then we we relax our our whole entire being relaxes. Our nervous system relaxes. That's important. So I just want you to note that right now. So I'm going to go back to reading on page 60. I began learning about attachment styles when my three children flew far from the nest, leaving me lost <laughs> in the trauma of this normal parenting transition. From Virginia, one flew to the other side of the world. One flew to Kansas and the other to St. Louis, Missouri. As I blogged about this parenting milestone, men and women would comment, wow, they must really be secure. I heard it over and over again. And every time I heard it, I got more agitated. (laughs) And many added, boy, you and Rob must have done a good job, Janelle, because they're so secure. Now, listen, I was... I just finished my masters in counseling. I just finished going through my board certification with advanced life coaching and professional coaching and I was like, "What are they talking about?" I almost think it was one of those blinders that the Holy Spirit put on me for such a time so that I would be I had I was at the right place to hear and to begin studying and understanding. Like everything in my life was aligned and ready for me to to move into this understanding of secure attachment. It was such a transitional transformation in my work and life. I just said, why does everyone keep saying this? I'd ask myself, what on earth does being secure have to do with leaving home and going so far away? I don't get it. And why does that mean that we did a good job? So midway through my own training, and I actually was um, in an attachment and trauma certification program, I just was beginning it. I was just beginning to research going into it, put it that way. I learned the answer. And that answer was because we learn these early attachment patterns in our infancy, and they, as a result, settle into our emotional systems. Parents help children organize and regulate these patterns, which become ingrained automatic neural processes. So I'm on page 62. This gets a bit deep, I know, but it's so powerful. And then these ingrained automatic neural processes settle into the emotional fabric of a child's soul. And now we know that they actually wire our brain it it creates these deep neural wirings in the cavity of our brain and they don't change easily once they're ingrained when children are cared for by trustworthy capable empathic and loving parents and i always like to add here imperfect there is no perfect family it's a lie it's not. It's not there. There's no perfect life on Instagram. There's no perfect life on Pinterest or on Facebook. We all have our little fires everywhere, to borrow that term. None of us are perfect, but some of us have a better footing, a sure, a secure footing. And um, I'm so happy when I see that. And and actually, my whole life, I remember watching families like my neighbors, the Buchanans that I've spoken of before and noticing why are they so different? What is it? They're so normal. And I just, sensitiv- in my sensitivity, I just knew what my household wasn't normal. Like, Mr. Buchanan came home every day at five o'clock with his lunchbox and they had dinner together. And after dinner, they just sat and they would watch TV or they'd play cards or he'd work in the garden and Miss Buchanan took care of the house. And it was very leave it to beaver. And I've since learned they're not, they weren't perfect either. Phyllis is one of my dearest, dearest life friends. And we've chatted about it so much, but secure. And I would just go over there and not wanna leave because I just felt the atmosphere of the home. So all that to say, we are not called to be perfect but we are called to be committed to progress to have growth mindsets to go how can i write a story in my family my nar- our family narrative that is as healthy as i can be today and when i know better i'll do better but when children are cared for in that kind of atmosphere They develop a remarkable capacity to expand their horizons and explore the world. Well, there's the answer to that, right? When and if something unforeseen or difficult happens, they know they always have a secure home base, a safe place where they feel loved, where they feel secure, where they feel seen, and most importantly, they feel valued. So secure children, children who have secure attachment, move through life from that secure base that we now are calling love, they're loved, they're valued, and they know that they have worth and dignity. So I developed my intention for our community. I have value, worth, and dignity. So when I learned this, it made so much sense that all I ever wanted to do in my whole life was be Miss America or be a rocket. And so I remember after my Miss America dream kind of died thinking of going to New York and, and, and I had uh, wise mentors back um, early in, like in high school um, and they're like, you should do cruise lines. You could dance and make so much money and and see the world. And I just now know that I didn't have that secure base. It scared me to death to think of going to New York by myself and just trying to make it oh, you know, and, and since then have, have really known that that would have really not been a good move in my life. I was not secure. I wouldn't have done well there. And so anyway, continuing to read from page 62, nothing, absolutely nothing is more important than secure attachment. That's going to be on my gravestone. (laughs) It sets the course of living an emotionally healthy, meaningful life. So, if you're hearing this today and you're going, well, I'm screwed because i don't I don't have secure attachment, and I'm fifty two, well, I'm here to promise and guarantee you that if you do the work of this book, you do the work that you hear about in the podcast and on my blog, and you you put the time and energy and you will you will earn your secure attachment. I've lived it. I'm living proof. I've walked many, many people from insecure attachment to secure attachment. So that's why I I bleed on the pages of this book and I cry out to you with such passion because I want you to have it. I want you to possess it. When you possess it, it is worth every ounce of the blood, sweat, and tears you've put in to get it. Heartlifters, I've taken a leap and I want you to join me. In 1989, Kevin Costner played an Iowa farmer in the blockbuster film, Field of Dreams. Strangely, he was inspired by a voice he couldn't ignore. And that voice was encouraging him to pursue a dream he could hardly believe. And that voice said to him, build it and they will come. Well, strangely enough, a couple years ago, I too heard a voice and I believe it was God's voice, and it said, Janelle, create a podcast, and the listeners will come. And I'm happy to report that the podcast is growing. The last few months, we have had over 5,000 downloads. Heartlifters, that's a lot of people receiving hope and help and healing. I want to invite you today. Please come join me on this Remarkable journey. I want to party with you. I want to journey together. Every month we'll meet. We'll have conversations, Q and As. We'll talk about themes and ideas and concepts, and figure out ways that we can be more effective and help more people. So I'd love to have you come be a part of one of my circles of trust. There are three different tiers that you can join, and you can learn all about it over on JanelleRairden.com slash podcast. Everything you need to know is right there. Once you get to JanelleRairden.com slash podcast, you'll see a blue bar with a green button and it says, yes, I want to be a patron of the podcast. Just click on that and we are on this journey together. So, I write about when nature parallels life. When I need a life lesson, I typically turn to God's creative work in nature. I've done it since I was a very young girl. I always feel closer when I'm surrounded by mountains, walking on the beach, riding my red huffy, or caring for the plants in my yard. I often beat myself up for that, but I don't, I really don't anymore, but when I wrote the book, I still was. Until I read a book by Gary Thomas called Sacred Pathways, Discover Your Soul's Path to God, and he outlines nine spiritual temperaments that God creates in human beings that that we can connect and worship Him in unique ways. And it was no no, uh, surprise that I was a naturalist because I love God best outdoors, like my alter ego, Anne of Green Gables, when she says, oh nature is God's cathedral. I'm like, I got you, girl. I'm there. So when I was writing this book, and I'm on page 63, if you're following along, I was writing it sitting on my back porch like I'm doing now, actually, because it's summer here, nestled comfortably under our cobalt blue patio umbrella, now it's bright red, writing each and every word bathed in late afternoon sunshine. And in Gary Thomas's words, he writes, the lessons we learn out of doors are waiting for us every day. A whole new cast coming to town with each changing season. So I introduce you to my cast that's in my backyard during my summer writing season. With great ceremonious anticipation, I await the arrival of today's surprising Suffolk sunset. So I'm writing this. I'm sitting under my cobalt blue Patio umbrella, and the sun's getting ready to, to set, and the wind is breezing, and it's just, uh, uh it's just, it's just my happy place, right? As I listen to the varied, harmonious songs of my backyard birds, goldfinches, robins, doves, cardinals, bluebirds, and red-winged blackbirds, warm summer breezes blow across my rectangular glass-topped patio table, I've done my best to create a little paradise in which to entertain and enjoy summer's bounty, and boy... During COVID, it was, it was everything. Summer comes and goes so quickly here in Virginia, at least it seems that way, that we have to be very intentional about seizing that sacred time. So I first read of the mysterious moonflower. Here's where I introduced the star, really the, the second star, the first star of Tool is my son and his wife and my grandpa Midas. In their home in Kansas. But here we move into my backyard, and the setting is um, my backyard. And I'm, I'm introducing you to this mysterious moonflower vine. And I first read about it in The Trellis and the Seed. Jan Karen weaves a warm tale about a woman called Nice Lady and her garden. Nice Lady loves flowers. At the end of summer, a friend hands her an unassuming little seed, off white in color with wrinkled skin covering its outer shell. She tells Nice Lady that one day it will become a beautiful vine with sweet-smelling blossoms. The very ordinary small seed, now taking on the human quality of listening, hones in on the conversation and becomes the main character in the story. Overhearing this prophetic statement, Little Seed responds with disbelief and amazement, and she says— How can I ever become a beautiful vine with sweet-smelling blossoms? (laughs) Is she crazy? (laughs) As if to say, that's completely impossible. Look at me. I'm small. I'm shriveled. Certainly, there is no blossom inside of me. After being shelved for the winter season, Little Seed is painfully notched with Nice Lady's small kitchen paring knife. She's placed in a cup of water, and she's set to soak. Nice lady buys a fancy white trellis, and yes, you guessed it, plants little seed at the base of the trellis. There, inside a very dark, very cold hole, surrounded by rich, fertile soil, little seed waits. I want you to lean in here. She's seemingly forgotten. She's desperately fearful, and she's soaked by torrential rain. Time passes slowly. Yeah. It seems like years to little seed. Nice lady visits every now and then, watering, fertilizing, And encouraging little seed to do the impossible. She says, Little seed, climb the trellis. Climb the trellis, little seed. You can do it. I believe in you. I've got you. I'm waiting right here for you, little seed. You have got what it takes. climb the trellis. Finally, after what seems like a lifetime, Little Seed experiences her own heart lift. It begins to twist. Something twists this way and something starts twisting that way, securely attaching to the beautiful trellis. It can't stop itself from climbing higher and higher. Soon, It forgets all about its discomforts. Little seed becomes little vine. All the darkness, all the cold, all the freezing rain, it's gone. Oh, you know, little vine is scared at first, of course, because everything is so new and so different. (sighs) Little seed, little vine, they're not used to this kind of freedom. Much to its surprise, little seed, yep, yep, little seed soon becomes this remarkable verdant, flourishing vine. Now it's not little vine anymore. It is big vine. After a few days, though, it notices something very peculiar. Every single flower around it is blooming, but it remains blooming until... Well, I have to leave you hanging on the vine, and that's a pun intended, but I must. If you want to know what happens to the moonflower vine, you're going to have to pick up a copy of Jan Karen's book, um, The Trellis and the Seed, and I may just give, have a giveaway here, we'll see, to find out for yourself. But the spoiler, spoiler alert here is it's a very happy ending. So I tried for years and years to plant and grow the annual moonflower in my backyard, but I, I met with failure for several years. And I couldn't figure out what I was doing wrong until my husband and I spent a day at a beautiful place in Richmond, Virginia, about an hour and a half away, called Maymont Estate. And I stumbled into master gardeners Keith and Melanie, and they just happened <laughs> to have moonflower vines for sale. Moonflowers, I shouted. Rob, they have moonflower vines. I've tried to grow these for years, I shared. They just don't make it. What am I doing wrong, Keith? What am I doing wrong, Melanie? I'm, I I, was a little hot mess. I, they were probably like, this lady is really crazy. Oh, moonflower vines are tricky, Keith said. They rot easily. You have to notch them and soak them in water for a bit. I guess I maybe just forgot the notching part when I was trying or I actually maybe soaked them too much. And he just said they're very, very difficult um, to grow from seed, and they're at high risk for rotting in the ground. And he said, so that's why we start them for you in the ideal conditions in our greenhouses. And, you know, that's what they had there. They had, that they were already vining. They were already, there was no little seed. The little seed was now vining into little vines. So, you know, I was very many steps ahead here. He said, you're going to have a much better chance at them growing this way. One thing's for sure, they're born to cling and they're born to bloom. I can tell you're going to enjoy them. Well, I bought several and off I went. I couldn't wait to get my little vines home. I was more hopeful than ever, thanks to the wisdom and expertise of Keith and Melanie. And a few days later, I stood in my backyard and like nice lady, I looked around for the perfect spot for each moonflower vine. Upon assessing our backyard, I chose a quiet little spot by the iron fence on the back of our property. I dug a hole, added some fertilizer, potting soil, and lovingly planted little vine and watered it for safekeeping. I was so filled with hope. I spoke a gardening prayer and I smiled. Grow, little vine, grow. I can't wait to see you blossom. You were born to cling and born to bloom. Now go and do what you've been born to do. Dear Heartlifter, I feel like a master gardener of hearts in so many ways, because I feel like I, I, you know, those of you that I've had the privilege of of sitting with, uh, those of you have trusted me with your your little crinkly seeds, and you have placed them in my hand, and you've asked me to help you plant and fertilize your heart and your mind and your soul and your body. And uh, I'm very emotional again, because I take that, I really take that so seriously to be um, your guide. And those who are just joining and meeting me for the first time, I'm so happy to be your guide here and just to talk to you from my heart. Uh, this may not be the most polished of podcast at this point because it's we're, we're just talking from our hearts over this season of reset so that we can grow together and we can learn the power of a good cling. And so I talk about secure attachment and, and the way that I define it has everything to do with what I just talked about with the moonflower vine and vines in general that we're born to cling. And right now, um, it's the end of June here in our summer season. And I have two or three little moon vines that are now coming up. And you know, they're they're coming back and they're they're starting their journey. And so it's so much fun for me to be talking about this, and then I can be taking pictures and putting that up on Instagram and putting that up on our social um, platform, Facebook group. Uh, I just can't wait to to once again show you my trellis and how the moonflower is growing. But I want you to know that it is your God-breathed inheritance to possess the good cling. God created you and gave you an innate sense to possess secure attachment. It is our birthright. It really is. And maybe you don't have any idea what that even means or feels like right now. Early in my walk of faith, imagining God as a father or a or, or beautiful gardener who was caring for me tenderly was painfully difficult. I didn't have a strong, dependable father. The bottle won out most days with him. He seemed weak and worn to me. His addiction lured him away from being present as a parent. He was a good man. I had restoration. I told you that. He just was a a man with a great big problem with alcohol. But I'm grateful that um, I was able to understand how to grow and possess this secure attachment. So I want you to read through this chapter Uh, This tool, too, with great care, with a highlighter in hand, with a pen or pencil in hand. This is where you're going to pick up that pen we've talked about in the introduction, and you're going to begin writing down what does it mean for me to have secure attachment? I want to know what it means, and I compare it, I, I, I compare attachment style. Uh, to the beautiful story in Matthew 7, verses 24, 25, 26, 27. And you'll find that on pages 68 and 69. And I want you to spend some time there and also go to JanelleRiordan.com slash resources or slash stronger every day. And you will find um, an attachment quiz there that you can take so that you can see where you land do I have secure attachment? Do I have insecure attachment? And then under insecure attachment, there is anxious avoidant, there's anxious ambivalent, and then there's disordered or disorganized attachment. And so, you're going to read through Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Matthew 7, I hope I said that right, 24 through 27. And it's where Uh, Jesus tells the story about the wise man builds his house on the rock and the foolish man builds his house on the sand. And I liken building your house on the rock to secure attachment. It means that the good bones of your your house, the good emotional bones of your house are solid, safe, and built on a secure foundation. And so in that case, if you come out that way, you're just going to get stronger reading this book. This book is also for people who do have secure attachment, who just want to be stronger every day, who want to grow and and climb higher and higher and higher in their life journey. And I love that. I love that, you know, we can continue to become stronger and grow higher and higher and do greater things for God and ourselves and our families. If you happen to land in the insecure attachment, you know, house built on sand, Um, I just call, like, imagine a house built with no locks and no windows and doors. Imagine a house built with no locks on the windows and doors. It isn't safe and secure from harm. The kind of good bones of this house leave family members unsure of their safety. They may have to look outside of the house for other ways to be safe and secure or feel safe and secure. And so that brings you into an insecure attachment. You don't have that solid, secure, secure base from which to move through life. So you might find yourself, when you have insecure attachment, kind of um, guessing. Like, who am I? I don't even really know who I am. And so for me, I share my story. You know that I, I share my story a lot. That on I found a lot of my uh, attachment, uh, disordered attachment, on the stage. You know, I received a lot of my sense of self from being a performer and getting accolades and getting approval and getting applause. And I write about that way more in depth in Overcoming Hurtful Words, my last book. And if you happen to fall on that quiz in disordered or disorganized attachment, that's just this house really has no good emotional bones. It's very little. And it's definitely the house that's built on sand and rain and wind and storms are going to cause it to fall. Family members don't feel safe. They don't feel secure or stable. And they're either going to have to fend for themselves or look outside for the home for a sense of safety, which can often be maladaptive. Um, So if in fact you fall into that category, reach out to me, reach out to me. And maybe I'll do an episode um, later that can dig deeper into that. But for right now, just go ahead and find that uh, attachment quiz on janellereardoncom resources. Take it, see where you fall, and really take some time. Because this is a little bit more neurological, scientific, and it, it, it may land really quickly on you, or it may, it may take it a little bit more time. But take your time. Because I really want you to get tool two. It's very important. So as you're reading through, I give you lots and lots of examples on how to cling and what that looks like. And so in your uh, strength training for the soul, the homework portion of this tool, you're going to be understanding and learning what it means to have a good cling. And I give you an acronym, an acrostic cling, consider secure attachment. Look at nature's reflection of the power of a good cling. Identify where and what makes you feel alive and fully awake. Name the negative influences, the negative feedback loops, and the naysayers in your life and how that might be affecting your faith, your faith capacity to cling to God in a healthy way. Look at all the negative influences in your life, okay? And then you're going to gather strength from healthy relationships and communities we do not heal in isolation so you need to find even if it's just one or two people that you can maybe work on this with that you can have perhaps a stronger everyday small group book club i will zoom in i will talk to you i've had so much fun doing that with uh several groups so far and um we'll talk a little bit more about it And then I just want you to just meditate on Paul's words in Romans 8, 31 through 39, and just see what they say to you. Just see what they say to you. And that is tool two, secure attachment. So I'm just going to close with uh, more of John O'Donohue's beautiful words in State of the Heart in To Bless the Space Between Us, Book of Blessings. The shape of the human heart is very distinctive. It is an instantly recognizable image. It is an interesting shape. Neither a circle nor a triangle. It somehow manages to blend both contours. Viewed through the metaphor of the triangle, the heart is a space where the self and its otherness unite to configure the individual presence of the person. This threefold structure is also the structure at work in friendship and love. You, the friend, and the triangle is completed in the third force, which is the spirit. Friendship. This is more than the sum of the two dimensions. It is a force that has its own independence and a different tone of spirit. Therefore, outer and inner friendship have a triadic structure. In Christian belief, God is not a lonely divine object. Rather, God is where self and other, the one and the many, come together. God is three persons in a kinetic flow of originating, enduring, and completing love. The Father generates the Son, and both together create the Spirit, who is the third force where their knowing, narrative, and memory unite. Gosh, I have to read that again. I've never heard it described in such a beautiful way, the Trinity, O'Donohue says the father generates the son and both together create the spirit, who is the third force where their knowing, narrative, and memory unite. Hmm. Dear Heartlifter, he writes, the state of one's heart inevitably shapes one's life. The state of one's heart inevitably shapes one's life. It is ultimately the the place where everything is decided. As we close, lean in here. Please hear me. Your heart matters. Your heart matters so much. I need your heart. You need to reconnect to your essence, to the heartbeat that first beat in your mother's womb. Stay on this journey. Stick with me. He writes A courageous heart will go forth and engage with life despite confusion and fear. A fearful heart will be hesitant and will tend to hold back. A heavy heart will make for a gloomy, unlived life. A compassionate heart need never carry the burden of judgment. A forgiving heart knows the art of liberation. A loving heart awakens the spirit of possibility and engagement with others. The power of the heart's attitude is expressed beautifully in the New Testament. Where your treasure is, there is your heart also. Until next time. Know your heart matters. Know that you, my friend, are clothed in strength and dignity with nothing to fear. And that you can smile at your future.